Thank you for listening to the Reformation Bible Church podcast. We hope you are edified and encouraged by our ministry as you listen to our Gospel of John sermon series. For more sermons and resources, please visit the RBC website at www.rbcbakersfield.org. Thank you once again, and may the Lord bless you. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for bringing us to this place this morning. We pray for our ears, Lord, to be opened by you. Our hearts, God, to be to be worked on by your spirit. We pray, God, that you would give us minds to understand and eyes to see. Lord, help us to take all that you have said this morning in your word and to judge it not based upon our own standards, but to bow before it and know that because you have infallibly spoken through your servants that it is true. There is no contradiction in what you have said. There is no conflict, Lord, in what you have said. The only contradiction and conflict that we will find will be found in us. So we pray that you would help us to bow and humble ourselves before you and your word. I decrease that you may increase. I become less that you can become more. We pray that you would be glorified this morning. Be with your daughter as well. Help her through whatever it is that she is experiencing right now. To the praise and glory of our God. Amen. John chapter 15. I will say, and I haven't said it yet, good morning. Thank you for joining us on this Lord's Day as we continue our exposition of the Gospel of John. The last time that we were together, we looked at the passages of the 15th chapter of John's Gospel That described to us our lot in this world as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 15, chapter chapter 15, verses 18, all the way to 16, kind of four. Jesus is warning his disciples of the hatred that they will inevitably encounter on account of their being chosen out of the world. And then being sent back into that same world. With the message of the gospel, Jesus warns in verse 18 of that chapter, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus is warning his disciples that because of their very union with him, he is the vine. They are the branches. They will particularly be hated, but the hatred that they will experience will be no different than the hatred that Jesus experienced during his earthly ministry. This hatred from the world that the disciples will experience will be a hatred that is rooted in hate for Jesus. It will be a hate that is rooted in hatred For Jesus and the message of the gospel of Jesus, our Lord tells his disciples in verse 20, the word that I said to you, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But these things they will do to you 
Why will they persecute the disciples? Verse 21. On account of my name. Because they do not know him who sent me. The persecutors of Christ will continue to persecute those who bear the name of Christ. And it is, it's simple to, to mark out those who bear the name of Christ. Because they are the ones who will relentlessly testify concerning Christ and the world's need to turn to him and trust in him. It's easy to find out who they are. Verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and both hated me and my father. The persecutors of Christ have made and will continue to make one grave mistake. It will be the the most costly mistake of their lives. The mistake is thinking that they are acting on behalf of God by opposing Christ. When in fact, by opposing Christ, they will also be opposing God who sent Christ. Gamaliel, you might have heard of that name before. One of the leaders of the Sanhedrin, who was also the teacher of Saul, who later became Paul, he understood this point very well. When Christ rose from the dead, the early church began to thrive and flourish, even in the face of persecution. The religious leaders were bewildered as to what they were going to do in order to squash this movement of Christianity. They decided it was best to kill them all. But Gamaliel spoke up in Acts chapter 5, verse 38, and said, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan of theirs is an undertaking of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. And then he says, you might even be found opposing God himself. Christian tradition teaches us that Gamaliel soon became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and that he was baptized by John and Peter. But the words of Gamaliel, they they ring true. Those who believed that they were fighting for God were actually fighting against God. And Jesus is not saying if he had not come and worked the miracles that he had worked or said the things that that he had said, that these men would not be sinless. Instead, they were undoubtedly sinners. Christ is saying they would not be guilty of rejecting Christ specifically. But since he did come, And since he did say what he said and they rejected and since he did do what he did and they rejected that as well, they can add that rejection to their already guilty consciences and shame. But there was an ultimate eternal working with the persecution or within the persecution of Christ and his church. Verse 25. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. The hatred of those who persecuted Christ has been ordained by God. Persecution has been ordained by God. It is to fulfill what has already been said that would take place among those who follow Christ. And this passage found in Isaiah, or actually Psalm 69, 4, says this, Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs on my head. Many are my enemies without cause. Those who seek to destroy me, listen, he says, I am forced to restore what I did not steal. And could there be a more accurate description of our Lord? Hatred for Christ abounds to the millions. And hatred for what? He has not offended anyone. He has done no one no wrong. 
But the scandal of the gospel or the shock of the gospel is that we have offended him. And yet the scandal is that he has come to rescue us. Can you imagine? He has done no one no harm. And we hate him without reason. The shock of the gospel is that in spite of that, that he has done no wrong. And that we hate him for no reason. He has still come to save us from our sins. What an amazing God we serve. If you were present last week, you will have noticed that there were two mega passages. And I say mega. There were two mega passages that apparently went completely ignored. And the passages that were missed last week are Jesus' comfort to his disciples. The passages that we missed last week are Jesus' help to his disciples of that day and beyond. For these passages come in the middle of a discourse and toward the end of their discourse. The Lord Jesus, being the gentle shepherd that he is, knows the hearts of his beloved sheep. He can see their fear. He knows their distress. He knows their heartache. He knows their vexation. And he comforts these sheep. With words that are our that are our text for this Lord's day. And let us stand for the reading of God's word as we look into what those comforting words are this morning. John 15 verse 26. And we're going to go all the way to 1615. If you're visiting this morning, the small numbers are the verses. The large numbers are the chapters. Chapter 15 verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, whom proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Chapter 16, verse one. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. They will do these things because they have not known the father nor me. But I have said, but I have said these things to you that when your hour comes, their hour comes, you will remember that I had told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me and none of you ask, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I shall have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is God's word. Those who have ears to hear are blessed to hear God's word. You may be seated this morning. 
the Lord Jesus in an effort to comfort his disciples. Listen now. Points them to the parakletos, the helper, the Holy Spirit. We talked last week about the the impending persecution and hatred that will undoubtedly come your way as a result of your union with Christ. And you may have walked out of this sanctuary last week possibly depressed, possibly fearful, possibly anxious. And you are no different than the disciples of Jesus who are seeing and hearing their master, whom they have walked with for the past three and a half years, say to them, I am going away. And no doubt there was fear in their hearts. No doubt there was worry on their minds. And what words could the Lord Jesus give them in order to comfort them in light of their fear and in light of their worry? He gives to them comfort in the sense that he is sending them a comforter. The parakletos, the helper. Jesus will not leave his children as orphans. He will not leave them helpless. And dear brothers and sisters, he will likewise not leave you and I helpless. But he sends to them and he sends to us the helper. Why? Why the Holy Spirit is said to be sent by the Son and to proceed from the Father is is a great mystery that we cannot understand fully and maybe ever. But we may quiet All of the conflict in our minds in the thought expressed in the Athanasian Creed, which reads this in this trinity. None is afore or after another. None is greater or less than another. But the whole three persons are co-eternal and co-equal. Above all, we may rest in the comfortable truth that in the salvation of our souls, all three persons in the Trinity co-equally operate in order to bring the elect of God to faith. For it was God who within the Trinity said, let us create. And it was also God who within the Trinity said, let us save. The Lord Jesus will send the Perikletos, the, the helper, And these words of Christ are meant to be a source of encouragement to his bereaved disciples. They are not to despond. They are not to feel helpless because of the unbelief and hatred that will undoubtedly come their way from the world. For a witness will be sent to them. An altar Christus. And he will provide a witness that the world will not be able to resist. There would be one who would give such a testimony of the divine mission of Christ that even the wicked hatred of the world would not be able to resist. Instead, they would be silenced and they would be crushed because of this great witness. And who is this witness? Again, it is the Holy Spirit who has come forth with a particular power, especially on the day of Pentecost, that he sent forth in his believers, in his elect ones, and he would abide in them forever. Jesus is going away. And how will his disciples then and beyond stand against the persecutions and hatreds of the world? The answer is simple. And it is ever so deep. He is ever so deep. The Holy Spirit. 
even as I say the Holy Spirit, there are assumptions in your mind about who he is. There are some of us who even wrongly say who it is. He is the helper. There is much confusion surrounding the Holy Spirit. Churches have been divided over the person and work of the Holy Spirit. But in these passages, the Lord Jesus Christ gives us clarity as to the work of the Holy Spirit. This morning, we will look at just three points of the work of the Holy Spirit. Number one, if you're taking notes, he testifies his work. He testifies about Jesus to the world. Number one, he testifies about Jesus to the world. Verse 16, or actually verse 26 of chapter 15. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. When he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will testify about Christ. The work of the Holy Spirit is to come and to testify about Christ. Why? Why testify about Christ? Because it is in Christ alone that one will find their salvation. In no one else will anyone else find salvation but in Christ alone. The Spirit of God, the work of the Spirit, is not to come and to testify concerning you or me. It is never the work of the Spirit to testify about the efforts of men. It is always the work of the Spirit to come and testify concerning the works of Christ. Christ is to be exalted. Christ is to be lifted up. Christ and Christ alone. Anytime you hear someone boasting or bragging about themselves, this, my dear friends, is a sure mark that the Holy Spirit is not present and not at work. But when you hear Christ being declared, when you hear Christ being pushed to the fore, when you hear Christ being exalted and lifted up, the Holy Spirit is definitely at work. Because that is what he works to do. The Holy Spirit comes and points to, toward the only path of salvation. And that path is found in Christ and in Christ alone. The Holy Spirit is God. He is worthy of praise and attention. And listen... Though he is God and though he is worthy of praise and attention, when he comes and when he is present, he goes on and on and on about Jesus. He testifies concerning how wonderful he is, how complete the work of Christ is, and how we must turn and trust in Christ. And he is God, the Holy Spirit. And he points to Christ. How amazing is that? How profound is that? Beyond my understanding, surely, the Holy Spirit will come and confirm who Christ is and also clarify who Christ is. He confirms who Christ is and he clarifies who Christ is. So you may have a Jehovah's Witness saying, I claim Christ, but you have a wrong understanding of Christ. Therefore, the Holy Spirit is not present. You may have a Jehovah's Witness who says, I confirm Christ, I, I believe in Christ, but you don't have clarity under who, uh, as to who Christ is. Therefore, you do not have the Spirit of God. In the previous verses, Jesus is telling his disciples how costly it will be to follow him. And then he says in verse 27, 
and I am sending you to go and testify concerning me. Now think about that. Their minds are already perplexed. They are already vexed because Jesus is going away. And then he says to them, and the world is going to hate you because of me. And I am sending you into the world to testify about me. He is essentially sending them into the lion's den. The disciples will be hated in this world. They will be witnesses and hated. They will testify. But who will be doing the testifying? Jesus gives them the answer. The Holy Spirit. And you also will testify. Now, how is that possible? The Holy Spirit will testify and you also will testify. Well, it's not like the Holy Spirit takes this road and you take that road. And we'll see how it all comes together in the end. One of the key ways that the Holy Spirit will testify about Christ is by testifying through the disciples of Christ. We who are actively sharing our faith understand this well. Countless times we have been faced with the prospect of sharing the gospel. And then we are almost immediately when we know the the opportunity is there. We are almost immediately faced with apprehension. How will I start this conversation? What will I say? And will it make sense? Will they think I'm out of my mind? How will they receive it? How will they receive what's burning in my heart? And you, you, you know those moments. Your heart starts to beat. You know those moments. All of the sermons start uh, rolodexing in your mind. And you start to think, I'm going to say it in this way. And it's going to be this clear and that clear. But will it be clear? And brothers and sisters, this is an insurmountable task that we on our own are incapable of overcoming. You know the overwhelming feelings that you have when those opportunities come. And glory be to God that we are not alone. We have been blessed with the promised gift of the Father sent by the Son, the Holy Spirit. We will be carried by our ever-present help, the Parakletos. He does not come as our assistant. He does not come as our backup when things are out of our abilities. He is the one that is leading the way. We don't use him. He uses us. He will testify about Jesus. He will testify about Jesus. And we must also testify. But listen, this is liberating. This is freeing because we can go out and know that in spite of all of our weaknesses, all of our inadequacies, all of those things are not a problem for the Holy Spirit. How many of you have not shared the gospel because you look at all of your inadequacies, you look at all of your weaknesses and brothers and sisters, what you are not doing is trusting in the Holy Spirit, but trusting in yourself. You are not the one leading the way. He is. You don't use him. He uses you. That's why you say when you when you pray before witnessing, Holy Spirit, use me. You don't ever say, and if you do, you're wrong, and I'll correct you now. You don't ever say, Holy Spirit, I'm about to use you. You see the error in that, don't you? And without even knowing it, you pray 
use me. And yet we are so apprehensive when it comes to being used. So speak, share, evangelize, and trust that he will lead the way. And how many times have you been in a conversation and said things that you didn't even know that you knew? Things come out of your mouth that you didn't even know words were in that mind of yours, in that heart of yours. It was not you. It was the Perikletos. It was the helper, the Holy Spirit. Now, not knowing what you would say, not having confidence in your ability to speak or your own knowledge. No, brothers and sisters, we speak as faithfully as we can. But ultimately, we trust it is the Holy Spirit who is at work. We may be shut down. We may have felt like a complete failure in our attempts to evangelize, but we can be sure of this one thing. No matter how terribly we think we have done, the Holy Spirit will surely gather every single person that God has called to himself. He will gather them. He will gather them. He will get them. Possessing a truth like this should cause us, listen, to pray. To pray even as much as we attempt to persuade. To pray even as much as we attempt to persuade. Possessing a truth like this should bring you and I to our knees on behalf behalf of sinners and plead to God the Holy Spirit to work on their hearts and to use us in the process to bring people to salvation. Pray like that. As a matter of fact, join us on Tuesday when we pray for sinners to come to Christ. Join us to pray. Join us for corporate prayer as we come and pray that God would bring all of his sheep into his fold. We, we should make sure that we know the gospel. We should make sure that we are prepared for apologetics. But we do not finally depend on ourselves. But we depend on the fact that it was the Holy Spirit who was sent in the world to testify concerning Christ. And this is exactly what the disciples do after they encounter the risen Christ. These once fearful men, Christ denying men, become fearless men, Christ testifying men. Because they had seen the risen Lord and become filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter says on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 5 verse 32, we are witnesses of these things. And listen. And so is the Holy Spirit. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit. And another, in one way or another, all of the work of the Holy Spirit will be pointing to Christ. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we should at one point or another end up talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, we should at one point or another begin to talk about the Holy Spirit. And when we talk about these two, we will inevitably begin to talk about God the Father. When we talk about Jesus, we must never leave the Holy Spirit out of the discussion. And when we talk about Jesus, we can never leave the Father out of the discussion. Jesus tells the disciples, now listen close. This is the encouragement you just received. Now here's what he says to them. I did not say these things to you, John 16, 4, from the beginning. Because I was with you. But now I am. Now listen close. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask. Where are you going? 
But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has so filled your heart. Now listen close. The disciples are being told deep truths. That they would be hated in the world. That they would be persecuted. That those who believe that they are for God will be those who will be their greatest opposition. And yet in the midst of all of these, there are heavenly truths that are passing right by them. Truths that are inescapable. Are trials. Truths that are inescapable when trials are coming at us in this world. No, no, let me say this again. Trials that are inescapable, and yet there are truths, heavenly truths, eternal truths that are passing right by them because they are too blinded by the trial. Godly truths, heavenly truths, and yet because of the trial, because of the flames of the trial, all they can see is fire. And yet there are heavenly truths that are passing right by them. That they are completely ignoring. Jesus says, I'm going to the Father. And they had not even asked him to explain the Father. Or explain the place where the Father and he will dwell. He did not say these things from the beginning because the timing was right, not right. He was still there. But now the timing is right. And yet, understandably so, they have not even sought to discover the deeper mysteries of the kingdom of God. In a sense, they had not because they asked not. And this is one of the greatest follies that you and I, brothers and sisters, must be mindful of when we are faced with inescapable trials. I say inescapable trials. You can't avoid them. You can't run from them. You can't stay in your house locked up. They will come. But we can never let our hearts become so troubled, as Jesus says in verse 6, that we miss some of the wonders of God that he has readily made available to show us. If we would only keep our eyes on the eternal rather than on the temporal. The temporal was that he was going away. The eternal truth was, believe it or not, that it was best for them because there were deeper things that were to come But all their minds were fixed on was right here, right now. And brothers and sisters, if you let yourself get caught up in this is all there is and this is all that there is ever going to be, you will miss all of the heavenly things that God wants to teach you. If you would just take your eyes off of this and fix your eyes on him. He has so much to teach, so much to show and so much that we can learn if we would not allow ourselves To be blinded by the smoke of the fire around us. He promised you fire will come. So don't be surprised when you see smoke. But rather, hold on to his hand and he will guide you through it. Verse 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. How in the world is it going to be best for us that you go away? This must have been what they're thinking. Stay with us. Don't go. 
Many of you long for Jesus presently right now. You want to hold him. And he says to you and says to them, it is better. It's better for you that I go away. Because if I don't go away, then the altar Christus, the other Christ, will not come. The helper will not come. Staying means the work of Christ is isolated. The work of Christ becomes limited, if you will. But if he goes, the helper comes. And thus, the, the work of Christ becomes unlimited. It is uncontainable. Meaning Christ, by his spirit, begins to, is allowed to be present with all of us here in Bakersfield and there in Africa. Here in Bakersfield and there in Asia. Here in Bakersfield and there in Russia. It is uncontainable. It is unlimited. And it is best for us and it is best for the glory of God. How can you recognize the work of the Holy Spirit though? Secondly, he comes, his work, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Verse 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. What does this mean? Convict, 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 convict. We say it a lot of times. Convict. It simply means this, to bring to light. It simply means to expose. And the work of the Holy Spirit will be to come and expose to the world that they are wrong and that they need to repent. And he will bring them to the light of Christ. This is the work of conviction. Wrong about what? Wrong about three things, as Christ says. Wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. And these are the things that we are naturally, by nature, wrong about. We are by nature wrong about the idea of sin. We actually don't care very much for that word, do we? Go to someone who has offended you and tell them you've sinned against me. And wait for their reaction. It will be much like the chuckling that I see standing before me or sitting before me this morning. Go to someone who has said something sideways to you. Or wrong ways to you. And go to them and say to them, try saying to your wife. Try saying to your husband. Try saying to your significant other. Dear one, you have sinned against me. And they will laugh in your face. They won't know whether, whether to take you serious or not. We hate that word. Even in some so-called churches, the word has been removed from the pulpit in order to avoid offenses. We see the sinless... We see the sinfulness of the world in this. People do not believe in Jesus. Oh, we see actions, but we often do the very same actions. Here's the greatest sin that the world commits. They do not believe in the Lord Jesus. He said in verse 9 concerning sin, because what's the greatest sin? What is the ultimate sin? Rejecting Christ. The ultimate sin is not lying, not stealing. The ultimate sin is rejection of Christ. Now, those sins are bad. Those sins are obviously an offense to God. But the greatest offense that will cause the wrath of God to be poured out on you 
is a rejection of Christ. By nature, we don't believe that Jesus has something that we need. The Holy Spirit is at work convicting people, exposing people that they are wrong and that they do, in fact, need everything that Jesus has to offer. And that he alone can save us from our sin. We, by nature, are sinners who cannot and will not come to God unless God first comes to us. The same is true with regards to righteousness. Jesus exposed the empty righteousness of those who surrounded him. One of the things that Jesus exposed in the religious leaders is that for all of their external displays of devotion to God, their hearts were out of line with God. They did not come to seek God, but rather they came to seek men and the applause of men. They thought they were righteous, but they were the opposite. Unrighteous. Ask any common person on the street concerning their standing before God. And the average person will say that God approves of them just the way they are. What will they say to you? Oh, God loves everyone. As if their actions are being overlooked by God. And that when they stand before God, they assume that their assumption of right and wrong will be God's assumption of right and wrong. And God will say, we think the same. Come on in. The problem is this, just like the great and grand sandcastle built by the sea, it looks terrific, but the, the tide will soon come and sweep away all of those worthless efforts. The Holy Spirit is at work in showing us God's holy righteousness and exposing the emptiness of the righteousness that we attempt to construct and build for ourselves. And he leads us to Jesus where we can find the only true righteousness. He shows to us there is no righteousness in us. He shows to us these are all filthy rags that God will toss away. You want righteousness. You want right standing before God. The Holy Spirit's work is to say, look to Christ. Look to Christ. Trust in Christ. His righteousness alone will save. No other righteousness will save. All other works, all other efforts are sinking sand. On Christ, the solid rock, we stand. And lastly, he convicts the world concerning judgment. Judgment about what? Listen, judgment about life. Judgment about Jesus. Judgment about ourselves. The way that we live, how we use our time, our efforts, our money, all of these things speak volumes of what we deem as valuable in this life or what we judge as valuable in this life. And when it comes to those big things, Jesus says the world naturally has judged wrongly. And brothers and sisters, it's not as if we don't have enough information. There are eons and myriads of information that are readily at our disposal. It is amazing that I can sit and study and prepare a message. And there's a scripture that I know in my mind, but I can't think of where it is in the, in the scriptures. And all I have to do is Google something like it. There it is. We have no excuse for what we deem as being right to judge with our time 
or wrong to judge with our time. We know where time should be spent. How we should live. What we should give our money to. And in the work of Christ, he says, don't reject the truth for a lie. And if you do, then you will join the judgment that has already begun. Verse 11, because judgment has begun. Listen to who stands judged. Satan stands judged. He already stands condemned. And brothers and sisters, we must not join him. Satan already stands to be judged and condemned. He's condemned already. We must not. We must, with all that we are, all that we have, all that we we are within us, we must run from joining him. The Holy Spirit is leading people to right judgments. A right judgment would be placing your faith in Christ. He works in the hearts of his people through the witnesses of the followers of Christ. And as we look to him, this is what we should expect him to be doing in us. Going on and on about Jesus, convicting the world of sin, righteousness and judgment. And once again, as Jesus says these things, he sees the pain and the perplexity on the faces of his dear, dear, dear children. And he says to them, oh, verse 12, I still have many more things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. It's almost as as if Jesus is going back and forth. I want to dig in, but the more I dig in, the more I can see on your faces. You just can't take it. I have much to say to you right now, but you you are in no shape to carry it all. You're in no shape to bear it all. It's too weighty for you. It's too heavy for you. And what a good shepherd he is. Rather than pouring and dumping truth upon truth on them, he backs off and understands I understand your frame. I understand that you are but dust. And that what I have to give you, you are too weak to carry right now. And being aware of this, that they could not carry all these things, that they were not uh, capable of grasping the grandeur of all of the truths that he possessed. He says, this will be the work of the Holy Spirit. Not now. But the Holy Spirit will come. And that'll be his work. Can I say to you, there are times when you have people in your lives who possibly are saved, possibly are not saved. And I pray that you use discernment concerning when it is time to pour theology on them until they are theology out of their ears. And when it is time to say, I'm going to back off for now. And I'm going to let the work of the Holy Spirit Have his way in your life. Brothers and sisters, that is good judgment sometimes. That is good judgment sometimes. And as it is, our Savior does not let up. He does not relent, but he returns back to the matter of the Holy Spirit. He says it's too much, but let me give you just a little bit more. And uh, third and finally, the Holy Spirit will guide us in all truth. Verse 13. When the Holy Spirit comes, he says, it's too much for you now. But when the Holy Spirit comes, I'm not letting go of this. I'm not backing off of this. He will guide you into all truth. 
You don't understand all of the truth right now, but when the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. How can you spot the work of the Holy Spirit? Is it in the ones who are crying? Shaking. Lifting their hands up high. Uttering wild things out of their mouths. We won't even go there. No. You can spot the work of the Holy Spirit. When people are getting busy testifying about Christ. You can spot the work of the Holy Spirit when people are getting busy testifying about the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is seen in unbelievers confessing their sins, rejecting their own righteousness And knowing that they will stand before the judgment seat of God and only Christ and Christ alone will be their advocate. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. This is what we can be sure of concerning the Holy Spirit. Now, this is in relation to unbelievers. But what about believers? What can we expect concerning how the Holy Spirit works in us? What is he doing in us? Well, remember, Jesus is going away and he's sending the altar Christus, the 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 other Jesus, as, as it were. Jesus is going to the father. And it would be normal for us to think that the Holy Spirit is coming as a replacement of Jesus. But listen, he's not coming as a replacement of Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes in the spirit or of the spirit comes in the spirit of Jesus. You cannot replace the irreplaceable. He comes and brings his presence Into the life of his church. He comes and brings the presence. His presence into the life of his church. He is the spirit of Christ. Now listen close. The spirit never acts independently of Christ. Jesus says in in verse 13. He will not speak on his own authority. But he will speak whatever he hears. Verse 14. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. And listen to to this progression. And all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Do you see the the, the workings of the Trinity there? The Spirit saying what Christ is saying. and, And Christ saying what the Father has given him. And then back and forth and back and forth. When we think about the Holy Spirit, we must do so Trinitarianly. Meaning this. Gregory Nisa said this. Whenever I think of the one, I think of the three. And whenever I think of the three, I think of the one. Is that your mindset as believers? Yes, he is the Holy Spirit, but he is not the son. Yes, he is the Holy Spirit, but he is not the father. The spirit is the spirit. And he comes to the church as the spirit of Jesus in the church. And Jesus says all that the Father has belongs to Christ. So there is a a mutual indwelling of the Father, Son, and Spirit. They co-inhere one with the other. Jesus is always the Son of the Father. He is the sent one. But the, the interesting thing that we see is in the book of Hebrews this. How much more then will the blood of Jesus Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God. 
Jesus offered himself to God. How? Through the Spirit. Do you see that this Trinitarian work here, that it's unavoidable, they are inseparable, they are eternally co-existent. They are not three gods. We cannot think of the Son apart from the Father. And we cannot think of the Spirit apart from the Son or the Father. Whenever we think of the one, we must think of the three. And when we think of the three, we must think of the one. Whenever the Holy Spirit comes, he is not a new manager per se. He will not speak on his own, but he will only speak what he has heard. And the Holy Spirit will come and guide. Here's, here's the work that he does in the believers. He comes and guides the believers in all truth. That's the work. He comes and guides the believers in all truth. He will make the truth of God and the gospel clear to believers. Why? So that we can pass it on. He comes and makes truth clear. And this truth will be in continuity with the words and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he comes, he will guide you in all truth. He is described in verse 13 as what? The spirit of truth. All truth. Well, Jesus is not saying that he's going to guide you in how to make or the truth of how to make a perfect stake. He is going to guide you in all truth concerning Jesus. The truth of Jesus. Now think about this. What do we do every Sunday morning? We exposit a particular passage or we exegete a particular passage. The Holy Spirit will come and he will be the exegete of Jesus. The Holy Spirit will come and he will exegete all truth of Jesus about his divine person, his incarnation, his righteousness, his atonement, his resurrection. And what is to come? He will exegete. He will explain. He will guide you in all truth concerning all of these things. The disciples could not carry all of these truths at this moment. When we think of the truths of Christ, we must never divorce them from the revealed truth in God's word. When we think guided me in all truths. So do I just sit in a room and think, well, what's true? Well, that seems true. Hmm, that might be true. If you trust in your own sinful mind to understand truths on your own, apart from God's word, you will end up like a Robert Taze Russell. You will end up like a Joseph Smith. These are the founders of the Jehovah's Witness movement. And the Mormon movement, you will find yourself a heretic. But no, you go to God's word and you take God's word as God's word has been said. And you ask the spirit of God to guide you in that truth, help you understand. Truth is not just information, brothers and sisters, not just lumps of information. The spirit will guide you in all truth. The truth concerning Christ and he will glorify Christ. There is a difference between knowing truth and being shaped by the power of that truth. There's a great difference. Edwards, Jonathan Edwards, begins his work on religious affections in making the point that true religion begins with not just right thoughts. But by offering your heart to God. And there is a beautiful Marriage of the two. 
There is a beautiful union of the two. Not just having all of this informational truth in which you can slay any opposers to the truth of God, but having your heart so captured by God, so, so, so taken by God, that it transforms every single thing in your life. The way you speak to people, the way you love, the way you witness, the way that you live. Not just our minds. And we as reformed people or a reformed church, we love the heady things, the mind or, or, or deep things. But we must not leave out our hearts. We must not leave out our hearts. Is truth just a doctrine that I can explain? Or is it a truth that has transformed all that I am? Oh, how I would love when we sing to experience what I experienced in Orlando, Florida. When I was singing, brothers and sisters, I could not hear myself sing. And I was singing. I was singing loud. I couldn't hear him sing. And he was singing loud. What a joy it was to hear all of these brothers and sisters together as one singing to God. And hearing the word of God as it was being poured out. And it was not just, and you would think, amongst all these scholars, you would think that they would not be moved by some of these simple truths. But they were moved. I was moved to hear these basic simple truths pour into my heart. And not just walk out and say, I learned some new information. But walk out and say, God, I want more of you. Is that who you are? Is that what you are? Is that what you desire? Oh, there are going to be many trials that come in your life. There are going to be many people who you don't like in your life. Some of them are going to come to this church. And will that stop you from saying, God, but I want you. I want you. And truth is here. And God, you are here. And I will let nothing stop me from pursuing your heart. Why? Because you have so captured mine. I pray that truth is not just truth, but it is truth that transforms. And one of our problems is this. When we come to the scriptures, we come to the scriptures and, and, and we look for us in the scriptures. We look, where can I find myself? And the work of the Spirit of God is not to say, yeah, yeah, go find yourself. The work of the Spirit of God is to say, look to Christ and Christ alone. Forget yourself. Seek Christ. Look to Him. We come to church Thinking, what can I get for me to help me in this situation? No, look to Christ. Look to Him. He is your only source of help. Your only source of strength. The Spirit of God has been sent to you. So that for this particular moment, when this word is going forth, you would recognize, ah, yes, now I see it clearly. It is not about me and my life and my concerns. It is about Christ and Him being glorified. Him being praised. That is only the work of God. He says, you don't understand right now, but the Holy Spirit will come soon and he will unpack all of these things. And the beautiful thing about the book of John is that it's right next to the book of Acts. And what we see in John of these fearful men who are running for their lives and and are afraid to even expose themselves to the public, we see in the book of Acts there is a complete change. Keep reading, I encourage you. 
there's a complete change. There's a, there's a complete transformation that these once fearful men are now fearless. Because they have been given the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. And now they are testifying before the world. Repent and be baptized and trust in Christ. Jesus is speaking to these disciples. And what he has made known to them through the Spirit, he continues to make known to them of that day and to this present day. He is exposing that truth, which all ends on this. More focus on Christ. More focus on Christ. It's so funny. I, I remember a lady who left this church, an old lady. Lord, help me. Uh, who said you used to preach the word. You stopped preaching the word. And I thought to myself. I'm actually preaching more of the word now. Than I ever have before. She said you used to preach the word. You don't do that anymore. Now you're just <laughs> preaching. Now you're going through a particular passage. And the point of that is this. The work of the Holy Spirit draws us to. To pull away more and more, to break away more and more so that more of Christ can be seen. He leads us into all truth so that we will be wonderfully affected by that truth. And so that we can look like Christ and that the world can recognize more and more Christ in us, the hope of glory. When we offer our lives to Christ and embrace the cost of following Christ. This tells us the best way that it could be seen, I guess. Is in our attitude toward Christ. That this church would be a more Christ centered church, that you would be living more Christ centered lives and that we would be able to say and see, look at the work of Christ through his spirit. In this church and where that is not happening, where Christ is not being exposed, where people are not being drawn to for, to repent of sin and trust in Christ, where that is not happening, we must raise questions. What is not being said? What is not being preached? And don't let don't let the 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 lack of people lining up to come into a building fool you into thinking the gospel is not being preached. Because people will line up to hear what makes them feel better about themselves. Like 10,000 down the street. Or so they boast. No. The Spirit of God will guide you into all truth. Truth concerning Christ. Let me end with a quote from John Calvin. The world will, the world will curse your teaching. But none of their attacks will be so violent as to shake your faith when the Holy Spirit has been given to you to strengthen you by his witness. Indeed, when the world rages around you, all our protection, our one protection is that God's truth sealed by the Holy Spirit in our heart despises all that is in the world. If we were subject to human judgment, our faith would be overwhelmed a hundred times a day. But as it is, our faith is in God. Let's stand.